Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. All right, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast, episode number 268 with Maria Roberto. How are you, Maria? Hi, Dale. Really lovely. And I'm so excited to be sharing some time and talking to you today. It is, it's a wonderful opportunity to just share um, a little bit about our passions. 100%. And uh, I must admit, I was looking through the notes from, must have been a bit over a month ago now that uh, I had the pleasure of speaking with you um, at the Principals Association uh, in Melbourne. And I've never taken so many notes because I found <laughs> what you were saying so fascinating, but the way you delivered it, it actually made sense. Instead of just all these facts and data and that I don't always understand or I don't feel engaged about, it really hit home with me and I absolutely love that. So I can't wait to talk more about that today. So for our listeners out there, do you want to, you could explain yourself and give yourself a better intro than what I could. Would you like to just paint the picture for listeners, Maria? Okay, yes, look, I'd love to. So I'm a psychologist um, with 30 years behind me. So I've spent time working with the Department of Education in my early years. I've spent time working with the Catholics and also some independent schools. Um, But I I worked with the department for a number of years and found myself just really interested um, in developing leadership qualities. So there was a lot of work that that I I was um, invited to do around developing leadership competencies around um, uh, up and coming principals, uh, assistant principals, but mainly women in the workforce. And um, my interest was very much around emotional intelligence at the time. And and I was so fortunate to uh, be working with uh, Swinburne University back then in those years ago with a uh, Professor Con Stow. Um, with whom I continue to work with and, and we have a fantastic friendship. He's, he's an incredible um, academic and, and an incredible man to really um, work with in this field. But um, back then we were looking at developing the emotional intelligence of um, leadership within schools and it was, it was a wonderful time and, and, and that area had sort of just started to blossom. But I did a little bit of work there and then realised that my interests were elsewhere. Then I moved to the Royal Children's Hospital Mental Health Unit. And I uh, was there for about five years again, just delivering training and delivering uh, design around how do we train our leaders into improving relational competency? Because you and I know, Dale, it's all about engagement, you know, that if you can engage someone either with their treatment or you can engage somebody with their own personal learning that that learning then has purpose and it means something because they are engaged in what they know um so i was there for a little while and and we had some fantastic years and then after that uh i there was an opportunity to work with beyond blue so i uh moved over and did some work with beyond blue for about uh, 18 months working on a project called sensibility uh, and I worked with a, a wonderful colleague of mine, uh, Athena Vass, who, um, you know, who she was heading the project. And she said, well, come along and let's design some training so we can roll this program out. And it was a program that targeted young people and to, ways to improve their mental health. And it was a fantastic program. But like everything else, Dale, you know, it, it sort of has its time and, 
And, uh, you know, then it's sort of shelved somewhere, but the program still exists and it's amazing. And then after that, I, I then went on and did some work for reachout.com and again, you know, developed some professional learning for their teacher area and then realised that my passion was, was very much about not focusing on pathology, but really focusing on the strengths of how do we improve well-being? How do we improve resilience? How do we make people the best of who they are? And so my entire life has been spent, um, you know, working in the corporate world and doing training and, uh, and also working clinically. I think that's really important. But my, my premise is about how do we understand the evidence that research is showing us? Neuroscience has had a really big impact on how I deliver that understanding. I think when we know what our internal functions are, it makes it much more relevant to apply a particular strategy. So neuroscience has really been the area that has, I think, led my passion for the last sort of 10 years or so. And it's really come to the forefront. Um, so we're doing lots of interesting things. Wow. So many, so much credibility there. And I suppose it's, it's really, I love hearing that because I think so many people, they get a bit stuck or they don't know where they're going, but just trust the process. And like what you were saying, each step or each research or each place you've worked has allowed you to develop and really find skill. What And essentially everything you were talking about is around resilience, but now you have figured out a way to deliver that and make it super engaging. Because I think at the end of the day, like you said, if or if somebody's not having fun or they're not engaged, there's no way Correct. known. It doesn't matter how good it is. They're not going no. to do it, are they? No, they're not. But it doesn't it come back to the saying, you know, People won't remember what you've said, but they certainly will remember how you made them feel. And, you know, Dale, we, we shared some space in that workshop that we did with the executive principals um, about a month ago, and you were first on and, and, you know, I had a couple of principals say to me, wait till you see this guy. He, he will get you out of your seat and he will get you <laughs> And I've just gone, oh, here we go, you know, I'm going to have to start <laughs> You know, like, you know, you go to the worst possible thing, don't you? You know, you sort of just go, oh, you know, what am I going to be asked to do? And then it wasn't that at all. It was very much around connecting with other people and, and engaging in ways that remove all of the performativity, that there was no performativity. It was very much around being challenged uh, intellectually, emotionally, in ways that were so fun that it wasn't about whether you were doing something right or wrong. And it really set the scene perfectly to the information that I was going to present after you. And you're a hard act to follow. So um, <laughs> I, don't know, know about I, was that. Bit, I was a bit nervous when I got up because I just went, how am I ever going to get that level of engagement <laughs> back from these people? Um, but I think it was, um, it was just a, a really lovely partnership for the morning. So, you know, thank you for your space and, and for your skills. It was just amazing. Well, Maria, I didn't get you on here to uh, make me blush, but I do appreciate that. And <laughs> you are definitely selling yourself short there because you got up there and rocked it from the, like, just from the start. It was incredible. And I suppose that's a really important topic at the moment. People, after two years, I don't want to talk about COVID because I think we're sick to death of it and we're over it, but people want to be more resilient. People want to be able to bounce back, but 
Yeah. I'm just not seeing that. And I don't, and I, and I, unfortunately schools, they're probably being hit the hardest, you know, and they're still getting hit. Um, so for listeners out there, how can, what, what are some ways we can be more resilient? Some really simple ways today that not only kids, not only adults, teachers, anybody can just action to start, you know, probably getting back on track and getting back to living life how they want to. Oh, you know, Dale, that's, I can't tell you how big that question is um, because my go-to is I want a whiteboard and I want to start drawing things so that people can see, you know, because there is so much about what COVID has, um, the impact that COVID has had, which COVID has really placed our brains and our bodies on high alert. You know, we were told right from the word go, uh, you know, at, at the start of 2020, that this virus was going to have a huge impact. And of course, Dale, it, it did take lives. And, and for some people, they remained very sick for a very long time. And, and for some people, they continue to. And so the media and what social media and the media did is it placed us on such high alert that we remained in an emergency state for a protracted period of time. And during that time, we were also asked to socially isolate. So not only do we have a threat to life and a threat to health, and we're constantly being shown numbers and we're constantly being told, um, you know, how many deaths and how many infections. And so being constantly in that high alert and being socially removed, as humans, we don't function well under those conditions. You know, biologically, we are so socially connected. We are social animals and we are at our best when we are connected with other people and when we build circles of trust and we build circles of security. And suddenly those circles were broken. We were forced into isolation. We were forced into lockdown. And what that does is that it continues to feed this neural state of emergency that we have in our brain, where we are constantly being fed of how dangerous and how threatening our world is. And the reality was, Dale, that, there, that, that it was to some extent for um, cohorts of people but then what it did is that it fed also a false sense of anxiety because the reality is we've actually got incredible resources. You know, the human form, the human beings that we are, we have incredible capacity to withstand really high levels of adversity and be able to then reset and go back to a state where we can cope. So as humans, we have incredible capacity to be resilient. But the thing is, Dale, no one's talking about it and no one's telling us. And I know that that's the question that you asked, but I yeah. had to give a bit of a preamble, I guess. No, I, and, I, and I think it, it does make sense. And when you think about the way things were handled, Maria, they're probably, you know, people weren't, they were making the decisions. They've never been in that situation either. You know what I mean? No, it was all correct. new for anybody. So it, it there's was. no right or wrong way to do it. But the thing that no. I, I and get blame really is scared. Yes, yeah, sorry. Like, and, and, no, 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 yeah. no. Don't keep going. It's not about blaming, yeah. is it? No, blame is not the answer, Dale, because yeah. blame actually doesn't get us anywhere. All blame does is that it offloads my emotion to you. Yeah. And what have I done? You know, I've, 
I, I think I feel better, but I actually don't. You're then carrying all of my emotional baggage and I've not done anything to help you out. Blame is not the answer. We, and, and you are so right. It was new. Who, no one had a precedent for this. So yeah. we were really doing the best we could, really. Yeah. And, and, I, and I see that now. And, and like you said, everything was negative. All was doom and gloom. And All. it's... And it's it's really funny, like, and you would have seen this more than anybody, you know, with the, the the clients you're working with, the teachers you're working with, the students. I'm getting paid now to go into schools just to have fun. So my, they're, they're ringing up to me, Maria, and say, can you just teach our kids to have fun? Like, it's blowing my mind because what 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 is that? Like, it that's yeah. we are yeah. we're so it's horrible. Well, well, there's actually a name for it, and it's called the positivity offset. So the idea that we have been in deficit for so long and we've been disengaged for so long and we have felt under threat for so long. Um, Barbara Fred Professor Barbara Fredrickson from the University of North Carolina, she's done a huge amount of research in this area. And what she says is for us to tip into well-being, for us to tip into a space where we feel like we have a little bit more resource to be able to manage our environment. She, she talks about the positivity offset as a concept. And she says, we actually have to invite on purpose, synthetically, if we need to, we need to invite into our lives a certain amount of pleasant and productive states where we feel good about ourselves where we feel good about our environment, where we feel like we're able to cope really well. And what that does is that it offsets a lot of that negativity and it offsets a lot of that deficit that we have so that, it, so that a bit more balance is brought into our lives. And it's that balance that we're requiring. You know, Dale, we are not saying we've got to eliminate the negative. And nor is science saying that we need to just focus a little bit on the adversity because that's just silly and it's nonsense and it's irrational and that doesn't work. And that's not how, that's not how the human biology is set. The human biology is set to be really, really clever at detecting adversity and it has to so that we're able to protect ourselves. But if we stay in those states, it actually becomes really dangerous and it creates a lot of risk factors like if we stay within a mindset of pessimism for too long, we see that we raise in symptoms of depression or anxiety. So those states are purposeful, but they are not states where we learn to cope. We learn to cope by engaging, by being curious, by having fun, by connecting with other people in really fun ways. So what you're doing is what our communities are so desperately in need for. Yeah, and I just feel like I'm being negative here, Maria, but uh, it's really, we know what we need. Like, we we know what yeah. we need, but yeah. we're, we're not getting it. Like, um, do you know what I mean? Like, we're still not having these social connections, these, and I know you, I love this word, I want to talk about flocking, but we, we're not having those situations because we're still unable to in certain aspects or people are not in the right mindset to even contemplate going there because like you said, we've been in that negative state for so long. Yes. Yeah. Like is that, that's that real, does, isn't it? 
Oh, it's very real. So what it does is that it causes what we call autonomic dysregulation. So our autonomic system has sort of these states of functioning. So on the one hand, we call it a sympathetic state. So our sympathetic nervous system is really responsible to lift our levels of energy strongly so that we're motivated to um, perform and we're motivated to engage and we're motivated. But if it's lifted too much, we see, look, they call it the four Fs. So in a sympathetic state, when we are, when we're, where our levels of stress are lifted to extreme levels, like it did in the pandemic, we move into the two Fs, which we call fight or flight. And, and everyone knows about that. Yeah, yeah you know, you, they do. you know, there's an adversity and a challenge and you either, you become so overly charged that you either fight or you flight. And we know that that has a, uh, an anthropological and a protective factor. However, the, uh, the reverse can be true. The opposite can be true, sorry. So we have our parasympathetic nervous system where that part of the nervous system is really responsible for us to be able to um, relax, to be able to go to calm. So it's a bit of an offset for our sympathetic response where we are able to, the parasympathetic, when that's lifted, um, or those en energies are raised, that we're able to... Um, take some respite, we're able to relax, we're able to focus, we're, we are able to recharge. And those, um, however, when if that goes to the extreme, so if the parasympathetic is overly um, charged, we have the other two Fs, which is freeze or fawn. So if our parasympathetic nervous system is, is um, activated to the extreme, Rather than just going to calm, we drop so low that we go that we go to freeze, and freeze is that fright response where you just become really immobile because something so bad's happening. Or fawning, fawning is actually seen as a way of responding to harm in your environment, where you become submissive to the harm, so that you are not hurt as much as what you could be hurt if you were fighting. We see we see this a lot in domestic violence situations and in situations where it really is a harm minimization tactic. If I become complicit to the harm, then I may not be hurt as much as I would be as if I was fighting or flighting. So this autonomic dysregulation that we've been in, especially over COVID, Dale, where we've been in fight or flight mode for a very long period of time. And what it does is that it, it places an enormous amount of stress internally on our bodies and even neurologically where um, you know, we see that people with high levels of stress for a protect, protracted period of time actually then, um, well, it causes inflammation. And so we then start to feel really unwell. Um, and, and the opposite is true with the um, parasympathetic nervous system where we find ourselves in states of immobilization where we're so fearful of even leaving our house and so fearful of even going outside and so fearful that we just we freeze in social situations uh, that we've been in these states for such a long time that it's creating some patterns of behavior socially where we are not as adaptive as we once were we're not as responsive we don't take positive risks like we used to take because we there's so much fear that we have experienced. However, 
you know, you've named it before. There's a there is a fifth there is a fifth F. So it's not. And I love fight this. This is brilliant. This is the best, Ray. I love this. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's not fight or flight, and it's not freeze or fawn. But we know that the antidote to recovery is by connecting with other people. And so the fifth F is what we call flocking. And when we flock is where we gather with our own people, where we share values, where we share purpose, where we share goals, and we all move in the same direction. And that direction is about wellness. You know, when you imagine a huge flock of birds that are in the sky and you know how they all move and they go into one direction and then suddenly they shift and they all move into an And it's like a world. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And, a beautiful. and this beautiful sort of uh, pattern of rhythm and of um, flight where, where they are all together. And that flocking is what we need to start to do. When we connect with other people, neurologically, we feel safer. Neurologically, we share our resources. Neurologically, we are able to find and create spaces of security. And when we do that, we're able to perform better. We feel better. We feel that we're better protected. We feel seen. We feel heard. So it is, it is a state of connecting with other people where we, we then find that these spaces enable us. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we know this deep down, Maria. Like we know exactly, like you get to a situation where you're like, oh, I might've been dreading it. Or when, you, when you're there, like a social situation, you're like, oh, I'm yeah. so glad I came. You know, like, but Absolutely. I think that's gone tenfold now where people are, they're just so comfortable staying at home or they're so comfortable not putting themselves out there or going out of their way to do something that they're actually missing that opportunity to flock, to gather, to get that beautiful connection that we need. Absolutely. And in fact, let's go back a step because you've said something important, Dave. You said, you know, people are so comfortable to stay home. What we know about anxiety is that anxiety forces us to move into avoidance. Anxiety is about withdrawal. So our sense of comfort is not, is not a way for our well-being or our resilience to develop because it's giving us a false sense of what our uh, well-being is. In fact, we have to feel a little bit uncomfortable and get out there and connect with people so that we can be better. So people who are finding it really hard to leave their homes and that they don't want to be going out and they feel comfortable at home, that sense of comfort can actually then work against them and deteriorate their coping skills. And so the reality is we have to lift up to feel a bit of that discomfort, to feel a bit of that, you know, feeling out of my depth that this doesn't feel so okay. But once we're out there connecting with other people and then we practice that over a number of times that we start to feel that, oh, this is not so bad. And so the discomfort then becomes the new comfort. And the new comfort is about flocking with others. Mm, I love that. And, and I, you know, when we talk about anxiety, it sort of normally gets patterned with stress. And like what you're saying there, that probably gives people a little bit of stress, but that's good stress because we need stress. we stress. need that stress. Somewhere because if we don't have that stress and then we don't overcome it, what do we actually achieved? Yeah, yeah, nothing. No, no, you're right. And, and in fact, you know, that good stress has a name and the name that science causes it, calls it is eustress. 
And eustress is that positive stress where you're lifted, you're energized, you're a bit, you're feeling a bit zappy, you're really alert, um, you know, you are focused, uh, you are also in a state of sometimes it's that that sort of sense of a little bit of anxiety, but actually we can flip it and we can call it excitement or we can call it curiosity or we can call it um, anticipation in a way that we rename what's happening so that we allow our minds to be very open to what our environment is giving us. Isn't that, uh, I think that's, what you've just said there is something that I think everybody needs to take on board, you know, how quickly you can reframe a question or reframe a situation from being, you know, stressful to curious or to excitement, you know, and it's like, Mary, whenever I finish a talk, I always have, my last slide is a slide saying thank you, but instead of the A, it's an E, do you know what I mean? And and people go, oh, you spelled it wrong. And I said, yeah, but who cares? I've got seven letters right. You're picking out one. You know what I mean? Like exactly like you said, if you want to be stressed, you can. But the thing is, if you want to focus on that negative, you will be. If you want to focus on the seven I've got right, you'll be curious, you'll be excited, you'll get out there. It's so true, isn't it? It's so true. It's so true, Dale. And and one of the things that we're seeing clinically in in our in our offices is that our prior treatments to anxiety are no longer working. There's such a resistance to treatment because those emotions for people around anxiety and dread and fear are so big. They're so loud in their bodies and so big and so loud in their minds that there's a bit of treatment resistance that what used to work isn't sort of working anymore. And what I like about what you're doing is that you are forcing the fun. And the forcing of the fun is a very interesting and a very clever approach because what it does is that it brings people into the space where you go, we're going to do it. We're doing it. There's actually no decision not to. We're just doing it. And then the minute that they experience the fun, suddenly this sort of this, I don't know, you know, new dimension opens up and suddenly they are engaged in an activity that they are no longer thinking about their defences. They're simply just going along and, and, in, and connecting with somebody else in ways that are really ridiculous or in ways that are thoughtful. <laughs> and so it takes people out of that mindset of having to feel like they need to protect themselves to realizing no it's actually okay I can do this and I can and I can feel that I am secure here I can feel safe even though I believe these emotions are telling me otherwise so it's um these are interesting times but I think we need to be rolling up our sleeves and doing more work around getting out more work around you know, connecting with communities, engaging in sporting activities, going for walks, um, being able to, I, I guess, reset ourselves socially so that we give ourselves more exposure to connect in really positive ways. So true. And I, and I think one of the things, you know, a holiday, 90% of it's, you know, the planning of it and looking forward to it. I, I think you just need to start booking in exciting things into your calendar and start doing Great. it, you know, because it might scare you, but when you're actually there, you're loving it. Yeah, it's amazing. Now, Maria, the main reason I wanted to have you on today is because I'm really excited. You've been telling me this for a while, but you finally finished your resilience first aid two-day course. And like you just said, you know, people yep. are 
the, the old way of treatment or the old way of dealing with things isn't working anymore. You know, people no. need something new. And, and I know this is something really passionate about. And you spoke a lot about yeah. this when um, obviously heard, heard you in person, but um, so exciting because this is something you're offering to people of everyone, all, everyone, everyone, everyone. And it's, and it's certificate, it's credited, yes. like it's bloody yes. amazing, Maria. So let's talk about, because this yes. is what Absolutely. people need. But it is absolutely what people need. We actually want to put it into people's drinking water and give them the bottle <laughs> once they drink it. That, that's, that's what I want to be able to do. So I've been very fortunate um, to, um, to be a uh, design consultant to Driven. And Driven is an organisation in Sydney that's run uh, by uh, Yuri Russo. And Yuri uh, called me on board and he said, look, he said, will you help me just design some of this? Um, he, we've been do, him and I have been working with resilience for a very long time. But he said, how about we do a two-day certification course and let's train everybody. Let's really try and reduce symptoms of mental illness, not by focusing and treating those symptoms, but in a very, very clever way. How about if we just focus on developing and, and building the features of resilience in people? Would that make a difference? And the results are showing, yes, it's making a huge difference. So we are so excited to bring a two-day certification course to the general public, to communities, to schools, to corporates, to families. And it's a two-day course where we teach the very new domains of what we call neural resilience. And it's so, it's so clever because what it does is that it teaches how we engage in behaviours that actually exercise areas of the brain that allow the brain to be more resilient. So, you know, if I'm, if I'm wiggling my fingers, then wiggling those fingers is actually activating a particular area of my brain that allows me to wiggle the fingers. But what if I was able to engage in a behaviour that directly targeted the area of the brain that was best responsible for resilience? Wouldn't you want to do that? I would. I would. Oh, correct. And so even though some of it we already know, like exercise, we know that just going for a walk activates an area of the brain that is responsible for improving our levels of uh, resilience in the brain. Things like uh, sharing a coffee or, a, or maybe not so much a wine. I don't want to go down the alcohol path. No, but, you can. You know, One, one's okay. <laughs> one's okay. One's okay. Um, sharing sharing uh, really good times with friends has a huge impact in building resilience in the brain. Uh, being able to understand that particular foods have a really big impact on how the brain then processes those nutritions, uh, those nutrients, and that that nutrition has a massive impact on how the brain then uh, has a healthier environment. So there are a number of things that we can do. But resilience first aid is based on a six domain model, and it's a hexagon model. And so it talks about the six areas of our lives. It talks about vision, so creating goals and being able to do that really well. It talks about um, uh, composure, and composure is about understanding regulation, understanding those big emotions, what we do with them, how do we attend to them, uh, how are we able to manage and work with them. Uh, then we look at the next domain, which is um, health. And health is very much about focusing on the health of our bodies, because the reality is if we don't keep our bodies healthy, then it doesn't matter how healthy our mind is going to be, 
you know, our body needs to hold our head up and it needs to hold our, our, our brain in place. So the health of our body makes a huge difference in our, how healthy our, our, our mind is. Um, reasoning is the next domain. So reasoning is about our ability to be able to think really clearly. You know, uh, Dale, we've been talking about how important it is to be optimistic, how important it is to flip your thinking. So reasoning talks about sometimes we get caught in thinking traps and sometimes we get caught in thinking about using internal dialogue that really doesn't help us. Like every time I go, well, what if that doesn't work? And what if that's not right? And what if they laugh at me? And what if it's not a good idea? Knowing that starting your sentences with what if is actually going to lead to anxiety. So you know, teaching that. And then the next domain is tenacity. And that's about optimism and perseverance. And then the last domain is collaboration, which is my favourite domain, because it's about how do we connect with other people in positive ways that allows us to be our best. And each of those domains have its own set of skills. And so what the Resilience First Aid course does is that it teaches those skills, but it doesn't just teach behavioural resilience, it teaches neural resilience. And what that means is that whenever we engage and teach a behaviour, we know that it's actually, and we teach it in the course, that it is, that it is uh, connecting to an area of the brain that is responsible for keeping our resilience at really high levels. And what that, what that then does is that it creates such a strength in our brain that it reduces the levels of symptoms that we have around mental illness. And that's really exciting, Dale. We've not seen this before. No, and it is so proactive. And that's what I love about it. You know, and I'm just sitting here, like, it's it's incredible. And, you know, today, obviously, I've called this podcast Building Resilient Humans. That Essentially, that's it is. It's been proactive. Um, you need to get on the front foot. You need to be actively doing something about that, building that life literacy or resilience or what, whatever you want to call it to be a better person to handle whatever life can throw at them. So, Maria, where can we sign up for this? Give it a plug. Like, people are, oh, people are jumping at the bit. They're pulling their cars over right now and they're getting <laughs> their phone out because don't drive on your phone, please. But they're pulling no, no, it out. No, they no. want to jump on and lock this in. Where do we go yeah come to our website come to our website we've got a flyer have a look we're actually looking at creating uh the next resilience first aid course within the next couple of months so come on come on to our website send us an email we're going to put you on our list and we are looking at um you know possibly uh august um september as being and end of august early september as being our next certification date so we you know we need a minimum number of people but come on we'll give you all of the information um it is so much fun you get a kit you get a, you get a hands-on first aid kit that has all of the resilience tools in there you you get to do and your your self-assessment on resilience you get a 12-month app so there's a, a an app that has all of the skills so you've got a, a a pocket rocket where you can pick up um a skill each day and you go in and and you track your progress there is so much resource that we are throwing at people but the resilience first aid course has all of that and so much more and we are so so keen to have people come on board i love the sound of that because a first aid kit is something that we all have that we use when something's gone wrong this is a first aid kit this is is a first aid kit that we use so nothing goes wrong correct correct and it is absolutely fantastic so um you know we we hope that people can um yeah come on and, and have a look 
but uh, also engage in the learning because you are absolutely right, Dale. It is about being proactive. It is about learning how to be resilient now before any further adversity hits so that you know how to respond. So true. And if the last two years hasn't taught us anything, Maria, that we do need to actively practice that, you know, we need to build that resilience muscle because who knows what's going to happen? You know, look at the world at the moment. It's not a very nice place. So, you know, the more you can put into yourself to build that resilience up, the better. And um, Maria, I just want to thank you. Oh, sorry, before I say that, episode 268, I'll have links in the show notes for anybody listening that wants to reach out to Maria, wants to go to the Resilience First Day two-day course, get all those resources and learn from the best in the business. But Maria, I just want to thank you for your time today. Um, you are incredible. You use science and research. I know you're a research nerd, but you make it so people like myself can understand it. Do you know what I mean? Like a simple bloke from Shepherd and I can really understand it. And I do really appreciate that. So thanks so much for your time, your generosity and being on the show today. My, my pleasure, Dale. Our work is so aligned and I look forward to working with you in the future. Thank you so much for this opportunity. And I wish your listeners a world of well-being.